I haven't taken the time to find out if it's the same here as it is out in Colorado. But in Colorado, you can drive out to Breckenridge in the summer and you can ride the chairlift to the top of the mountain with a bike. And then you get to bike down the mountain from the top, having done none of the work to get to the top, which is my speed. All of the benefit, none of the work. However, if you decide to take a bike and go down Breckenridge, pay very, very close attention to the signs. You think you're on a ski mountain, the signs are gigantic, but in the summer, the signs are eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper. You can miss the sign that says green circle left, and instead you can get to the right and end up on a black diamond. If you've never been on a black diamond on a bike in the summer, it is a lot steeper than it looks in the snow. In the snow, you can ski this, not a big deal. In the summer, it's just a switchback going down this hill that I was pretty sure we were going to die on. At one point, we needed to turn, and, and the turn was 180 degrees, and it went down two feet in the amount of time it took you to turn your bike around. It was not the best of times. Actually, it might have been a great time. I remember it, and we didn't die, so we were good. But we got on the wrong path. There were signs there. The second time down, because we did it a second time to just let you know a little bit of how dense we are. Uh, this was my father and I. We got back up, went up again, did it again, found a different trail to go down, and we enjoyed it more. But we got on the wrong path. There were two options. And we got on the one that was incredibly difficult, as opposed to the one that was supposed to be incredibly fun. This passage talks about two different paths. It's different than biking down a mountain, right? But these two paths are, the psalmist is going to lay out two different options for us. And we can choose one option or the other. We aren't forced into either one, in a sense. We're told one gives us life and one gives us death. So in a sense, we are forced to this being the only true option for us but we're given an option. We're going to read this psalm, and then we're going to start breaking it down and looking at it. It's Psalm chapter 1. It's only six verses long. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by a stream of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. In everything he does, he prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That sounds like a real downer for the end of that psalm. There's no let's glorify God at the end of this. It's, it's just the two paths. 
And it's a choice that we get to make as to which path we want to take. Do we want to take the path that is the righteous and the tree planted by streams of water? Or do we want to take the path that is the wicked and leads to death? There's a general flow to this, to this psalm. And it's a description and then it's a judgment. The description describes the wicked, then the righteous, then the wicked. The judgment describes the wicked, then the righteous, then the wicked. Bookending all of this with how the wicked are or are treated, are or are interacted with by God. We could look quickly at, at Proverbs chapter 14, verses, verse 12. says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. We have a reality in this place in time, in, in life, in the world, in, in creation, where we all experience death to some level. What we see here is that there is a path that we can take that leads us to death, but it's really more than that. It's not just that there is a path that leads to death, but we are all on a path taking us to death. But even more than that, we're on not only a path that takes us to death, but we're on a path that takes us to spiritual death. Allison and I had to interact with that differently this last week. And so we just wanted to thank those of you who knew and were praying for us. We wanted to thank you for praying for us. We left on Wednesday. Isaiah finished his last test on Wednesday. We left Wednesday at about two o'clock in the afternoon to drive back to Iowa. So since Wednesday, we've been here, Minnesota, Iowa, Minnesota, back to here. Last night, we got in at midnight. That was fun. So we drove down there for a funeral one of her best friends died two Saturdays ago. It was incredibly sad, incredibly hard. It was a 41-year-old mother of four, right? It just makes it harder. We had to interact with the kids, with the husband, with all these friends that we have back there. And it was really hard for Allison. This is a really close friend of hers. And, and just interacting with all of that and dealing with all of that while studying this, this path of the wicked that leads us to death and then wrestling with, with that on that sort of visceral level, it, it, was, it made for a long week is what it did. It made for a hard study of a passage. It was easy to be distracted, but it also gave me the opportunity to really step back and look at this in a, in a light that is... This death that is being spoke of, spoken of is real. Uh, not just figurative, not just abstract, not just for someone else out there sometime, but this was, was personally impacting us now. And we realize that we're given a choice as to whether or not we want to walk a path that, in, that specifically leads us to death. So as we look at this and engage with it and wrestle with it, one of these options takes us to death, which really means it takes, it's taking us away from God. And the other option takes us toward him and toward life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. 
Paul says, uh, speaking of the enemies of the cross of Christ, he said, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their mindset on earthly things. It, quickly, what that means is this. There is a group of people who are in opposition to the gospel of Christ. When they are in opposition or as they are in opposition to Christ, what they're showing is that their God is the temporal things of this earth. And when your God becomes the temporal things of this earth, the passions, the, the sort of filling your belly with good food that you like in the moment sort of things, you miss out on Christ. You miss out on the life that he offers. And if we live in that sort of way, not just as individuals, but as a church, then we miss the point that Christ has for us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. This has nothing to do with men versus women, just so we're clear. Until like 1995, that was evident to all people everywhere, at least here in America. We used terms, pronouns, in such a way as masculine pronouns were just a general pronoun for everybody unless you were specifically and directly talking about men only, and then you would be clear about that. We've had a shift, and that's neither here nor there, whether it's good or bad. We have had a shift, and it has to be clear that this is not about men. It's not saying men are blessed if they do these things, but blessed are the people who what? Walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. First of all, what does it mean to be blessed? We use that term. We see it written on walls. We, we, we say it to people, oh, I, I feel so blessed. What does that mean scripturally? Not what do we mean personally, but what does that mean scripturally? Scripturally, what it means is to have the favor of God in a sense. Blessed are the people who do this. Favored by God are the people who what? Who walk the path of the righteous versus the path of the wicked. Now we could try really hard to walk the path of the righteous and say, I am going to do this really well and that'll make God happy. And you won't, and it won't. It won't, you won't do well and God won't be pleased with you because you do it. What it is really saying, what we really need to know as we understand the scriptures is as we love God, we will choose the path of the righteous because it is the path that emulates God. It's his character, so we copy him. Not because this will make him happy, but because we love him and want to be like him. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a, there's a movement in this. You can walk in the counsel of the wicked, sort of being, take their advice. You know, you're, you're going through life, you're trying to get, get interactions from people, trying to get, get thoughts from people, and you, you sometimes say, well, I, I want the, the inter interaction or the thoughts of really successful people. And so I want to do things the way that they did them because they were successful in them. So I'm going to take their 
counsel. I'm going to take their perspective and I'm going to live that out because their perspective obviously was successful for them. I'm going to take their advice. But if we're taking the advice of people, I'm not talking about what stocks you buy because the scripture doesn't talk about that. I'm not talking about where you invest your money. That's not how the scripture deals with things. But if you're taking advice from people who aren't following Christ to live your life, you're living it wrong. You're walking in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, but it goes even beyond that because you can walk in their counsel, sort of hear their advice and, and, and wrestle with it and take it. And then you can stand in the way of sinners. Now you're sort of in their group, not not just taking their counsel or listening to their counsel, but you're in their group. Or you can sit in the seat of scoffers. Now you're one of them. Blessed is the person who doesn't do any of that. But, but that movement happens, and many times it happens on accident. You start here saying, I want to follow Christ, and you've got friends over here who aren't believers. That's good. They start to give you advice on what your life should look like. And you start to say, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And so you start to listen to their advice and, and take their perspective. Then all of a sudden you find out that you're sort of right there with them in what's going on. And before you know it, you're not just with them while they're scoffing, mocking, living in an unruly, ungodly life, but now you're part of them doing that. R.C. Sproul is one of my favorite guys as far as people go in the last hundred years. And part of that is because he was a golfer. Okay, really not that he was a golfer, but he was a golfer. He played a lot of golf and he was apparently pretty good at it when he was younger. At one point, he was in the locker room at the clubhouse with the guys and they told him, we really like playing with you because you're not like the other pastors we know. You're just like us. And he was so happy to hear that until he went home and really thought about it and realized that what they were really saying was, you're not different than us who don't believe in Jesus. He said God gave him a back injury that caused him to never be able to play golf again for a variety of reasons, but one being that when he was with those guys playing golf, he was like them, not them like him. He didn't show Christ to them, he said. He copied their behaviors. He wanted to impress them. He wanted them to like him, and so he did things so as to be liked by them and found himself sitting in the seat of scoffers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 is a verse that many of us know. Many of us say, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good character, good morals. And that can be confusing because if we're supposed to be sharing the gospel with the world around us, we have to have bad company, company that doesn't love Jesus. So then what is Paul saying? Well, as we take it back to this whole, whole development of person out of Psalm chapter one, really what we can begin to see is Paul is referencing influence 
of them, not friendship of them. Not that you know them, but they're influencing you. Not that you're trying to share the gospel with them, but you're wanting them to approve of you. We do not need the world to approve of us. And as soon as we try to get the world to approve of us, we will fail because Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man. There is a way that in our brokenness, in our humanity, in our flesh, that seems right to us, but its end is death. If you go back to the darkest book of the entire scripture, it's the book of Judges, especially the last half of the book of Judges. Pretty much nothing good happens in the last half of the book of Judges. And multiple times we read this phrase, and each person did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what they thought was right, what they thought was best. They didn't base it on the word of God, which they had. They didn't base it on the law that Moses had given them. They based it on what they wanted. And then they did what they wanted. That way leads to death. Blessed is the one who walks not in that way. They don't walk in the path of the righteous, or the, in the, sorry, they don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't stand in the way of sinners. They don't sit in the seat of scoffers. But what? It's not enough to just say, don't do X. That's not enough in life. I had a conversation with a friend here just recently in my office, and we talked about, we talked about what it means to be filled with the Spirit it's not enough to just not do something, but we need to be filled by something. So that becomes our, our purpose, our direction, our intent, right? So it's not enough to just say, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. But what? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. His delight is in the word of God. His delight is in what God has revealed, not in what we can gather or what we get, but what God reveals. Uh, more than that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is now going to reference this very idea. Matthew 5, 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So all the stuff that the psalmist is saying right there, blessed is the one who doesn't do this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I haven't come to end it. I've come to make it complete. I've come to do what it said that you all, us all, can't do. Jesus could do, so he came to do it. Moreover, John chapter 5, verse 39, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And he says this, you search the scriptures, which they did every day. They read it, they memorized it. They knew what the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me, yet you don't come to me for life. Jesus not only fulfilled the law, 
But all of the law points to him and is about him. And he's the one upon whom we get life. So it's not just blessed are the people who don't do the bad stuff. So saying, rather the ones who are centered on Christ, centered on the word of God, so that it's not all of us going out and doing our own thing at our own time in our own way that makes us happy and accomplishes our goals. It's not about our happiness. It's not about our goals. It's about centering ourselves on Christ and saying we want to be like him. And as we're like him, then he works through us to accomplish those things because we're like him. We meditate on his word, which means we must be reading it. I've not had the conversation with most of you. Do you open your Bible on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or only on Sunday? It hurts my soul just a little bit when I see Bibles that people leave here and they sit on the shelf for weeks and weeks. Not because the Bible is if you don't open that particular one, it's somehow not good. But I know many times people don't even know that they've missed it. I found somebody's Bible one time and they said, oh, I didn't even realize I'd lost it. I was like, really? I mean, you realize you just bared your soul to me without knowing it, right? You don't really care about God's word because you didn't even know it was gone. I realized you might have multiple Bibles. I have multiple Bibles. This one here, I have had this one go missing because it only gets used once a week in this moment. I preach from this Bible. I don't take notes in this Bible. And so there are times where I haven't known where this Bible was come Sunday morning because I read out of a different one. I get that that can happen. And so I'm not trying to pass judgment on you if you say, oh, well, I, I, I'm the one who said that. And you're not because it wasn't here. So it wasn't you. But when people don't know that their Bible is missing, when they, when they read it so infrequently that they don't know they don't have it, they cannot say that they're meditating on his word day and night. You're not. You're meditating maybe on what you know of it, but we're not looking for just what we know of it. We're looking for what it says and reading parts that you haven't read before or haven't read as often as part of knowing what it says. His delight is in the law of the Lord. This isn't, a, this isn't an encumbrance on your life. Your delight is in that. You love to know his word because there's life there. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Now in verse three, he, this righteous person, is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. We're in the middle right here and I don't know if this is normal or not, but it pretty much hasn't rained since it snowed in May. And I hope this isn't normal because People tell me it's not, so I'm just going to go with it's not. But trees, plants that are by water, even when it's not raining, they stay strong. They stay healthy. I mean, irrigation systems were created for that very purpose, giving water to plants that need it, even when the rain from the sky isn't giving them the water that they need. This tree, this person is stable, well-rooted, strong, growing. But more than that, it says it yields its fruit in season. That's incredibly important. Yielding its fruit in season is 
possibly very different than what we think. If we were to jump to 1 Peter, not if we were, let's jump to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You'll yield your fruit in season when you humble yourself before the Lord and at the right time, he exalts you and causes those things to happen. When will that happen? I don't know. I, I don't know. You might be 94 and decide to write a book. Uh, you might, you might find yourself that everything you do immediately turns out to something that, that works really well. You might find out that it takes years for something to happen. You might find out that, that when you want something to happen, it doesn't. You might find out that God has something for you much later. At the right time, he exalts you. At the right time, he gives that fruit. The tree, this, this healthy, vibrant, growing tree, yields its fruit in season only when it's supposed to. It's not yielding fruit all the time. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. The tree isn't dying. The fruit comes when it's supposed to. But we all know trees. They drop their leaves, right? It's not like this tree is always green and perfect and it goes through dormant times. It goes through times where there's no fruit on it that, that would be seen. But at the right time, God makes that happen. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. That does not mean that on earth you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and rich, or well-known, popular. That's not the prosperity it's talking about. This is the same idea out of the blessed is the person, not wealthy is the person, but looked favorably on by God. This is the person who prospers because they've put their hope in Christ and he or God in this moment, and he will exalt them. He will give them what they need. So you prosper because you continue to, to please the God you're following. That's prosperity. It's like playing a basketball game and making the whole crowd love you, but your coach unhappy with you. Do you know what happens if you make your coach unhappy with you, but everyone else like you? You don't play. Because the only one who really matters in that sense is your coach. Everyone else's perspective is fine and nice, but it's your coach who matters. The wicked are not like that. They're not like this strong, healthy tree. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. If you've ever been in the farming Midwest, when it's windy and harvest time, it's gross. I mean, it's great because the harvest is really interesting to watch, but it is dirty. Nobody washes their car for a month. Why? Because every time you wash it, all of this chaff and junk gets blown all over your car. And you have a fine layer of dirt immediately when you're done. The chaff is that sort of shell 
that, that is there, or it's driving through South Dakota. And I didn't even know tumbleweeds really still existed. They were always like in Old West movies, and I didn't know if they were real until we moved to Nebraska and had to drive from Nebraska to the Black Hills. And the west half of Nebraska and all of South Dakota, other than the Black Hills, has this weird weed stuff that just blows everywhere. Like you're driving down the road and it's 60 mile an hour winds or whatever and the tumbleweed is going as fast as you are and then it goes in front of your car and and it gets stuck in the front of your car. That's what this chaff is like. What's it doing? It doesn't know. Where's it going? No idea. It's got nothing to root it, nothing to keep it. It's dead and just going wherever the wind drives it. That's what the wicked are like. Therefore, because that's what they're like, because they're on that path toward destruction, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And what that means is that they will not make it through the judgment. They won't be left standing when that's done. They'll be driven to their knees or to death. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm chapter 34, verses 15 and 16. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. God either looks favorably upon you or his face is turned to you in anger favorably upon you now that we know more than David did as we trust the Messiah for the forgiveness of our sins, as we trust Christ, as we talked about in communion, we've put our faith in him to give us life versus those who stand in opposition to him. Jesus says that he is the cornerstone and if this stone falls on you or if you fall on this stone, it will crush you. Yet he gives life generously to all those who seek it from him. He only crushes those who intentionally stand in opposition to him, but not choosing him is intentionally standing in opposition to him. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by a stream of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's his way, his character. But the way of the wicked, those who intentionally stand in opposition to him, not trusting him, will perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, for giving us your son. Thank you for giving us life in you, the opportunity to know you, to honor you, to follow you. Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength that we need to depend on you, to walk this path that you've put before us, to trust your son, to know him, to honor him. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified in us this day and that you would be pleased with our words and our actions. We do love you and we come before you in the matchless holy, amazing name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.